How's that for a slice of fried gold? Oh, you think this is a fucking costume? This is a way of life. I'll be back. Just a flesh wound. I'm not gonna hurt you. I'm just gonna bash your brains. Take your sticking paws off me, you damn dirty ape. I'm sorry, Ben. she would consider that a great compliment <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh but yeah uh we did the same thing after we watched Shit's creek we i mean we've seen best of show a hundred times but after I have, yeah. you know seeing uh you, we got on that, you know, Eugene Levy and Catherine O'Hara kick, and we watched yeah. it, and we watched that and, and A Mighty Wind. Hey, yeah, you know, I need a little to double feature. I've only seen For Your Consideration wins. once. Me I'd too. Like, yeah, Me I'd too. like to revisit it. Just just seeing Catherine O'Hara do her facelift with her own facial muscles yeah. is the <laughs> She's best amazing. part of For Your yeah. Consideration. She's amazing. Uh, Shit's Creek's amazing, too. It's beautiful. Uh, and have you watched the documentary? Yes, we cried. Yeah. Yeah, we well, cry. that's yes, the yeah. entire time. Yeah. <laughs> Especially when they read that letter, though. Oh, dude, oh. Jesus Christ. <laughs> oh, speaking of Catherine yeah. O'Hara and uh, Eugene Levy, this week on the show, we're going to be having a conversation <laughs> about a movie they both would have started had it appeared a little bit later in, <laughs> in Hollywood. And America. <laughs> America. <laughs> well, hello, and welcome to Cinema Shock. It's the podcast that gives you the behind the scenes and all the details you want to know about all of your favorite cult and genre cinema. I am one of your hosts, Gary Horn. Hey, I'm Justin Bishop. We are joined today, first of all, by a returning and still alive Todd A. Davis. <laughs> welcome back from COVID. Yay. Thanks for having <laughs> me back, guys. Hey, I'm super happy to be here and not dead. <laughs> yes. Thank you, Todd. We're glad you're feeling better. You're still a little hoarse, but you're feeling better. better. I'm getting there. So, yeah, good, good. I'm glad you're feeling better. I'm glad your wife is on the up and up. Yes. So uh, we missed you last week. Uh, we'll we'll maybe get your thoughts on uh, on last week's film later on. Yeah, yeah, because I definitely have some, uh, yeah, definitely want to chime in on that. And, uh, and we're joined also today, that other voice you heard, the, the deep, soothing baritone <laughs> of Mr. DJ Wilson. There it is. Hey, thanks for having me back. Uh, that's back. the voice we decided on that's come up. It's it's I I had I had chosen Miles as our Quentin Tarantino stand-in voice, but my <laughs> other choice was DJ. That's Quentin Tarantino. Miles, who I think sounds like Tarantino, or DJ, who is the opposite of Quentin Tarantino. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. So we're uh, we're continuing. This is the third episode of our six degrees of kill bill series and uh, these are films that we are discussing that if you haven't joined us on the previous ones first of all go back and listen to them because they're really fun uh we had a lot of fun with those episodes but uh these are all films that have directly inspired or influenced quentin tarantino's kill bill there's dozens of movies that you can name but these are the six that we think are probably the most obviously referenced in the film and if there's one 
through line in, in many of the films that we're discussing in this series, including last week and the week before, it's revenge. These are There's a lot of revenge movies. It makes sense. Kill Bill's a revenge movie, so it makes sense that several of the movies that inspired it are also revenge movies. Who began this series with Death Rides a Horse, it's a story of a man on a lifelong quest for revenge against the gang that murdered his family. Then we did Lady Snowblood, which is the story of a woman whose entire existence was to act as a tool for revenge against the people who had wronged her family. And then today we discuss a film, another one that kind of falls into that revenge film category, and one that Quentin Tarantino himself has called the roughest revenge film ever made. It's the 1973 Swedish exploitation classic thriller, A Cruel Picture, a.k.a. They Call Her One-Eye. When cruelty knows no bounds, when evil knows no limits, revenge strikes with its most frightening power. They called her One-Eye, then ran for their lives. We've got a peck of trouble. Frigga killed one of her regular clients yesterday, and I'm betting she's out to get the three of us. They defiled her beauty, they robbed her of speech. They brutalized her body. And when they had finished, she used what was left to repay every blow with her own terrible kind of revenge. Your most fearful nightmares, the most cruel sights you have ever seen cannot match the shock of this motion picture experience. Was that air quotes around classic, Justin? Mm, I mean, it depends on your... Um, <laughs> If we'll by get classic, into, you mean older. <laughs> um, we'll, we'll I, I got to say, I I initially thought this this movie was Italian, but uh, with all the plot holes, it's definitely Swiss. Oh, <laughs> wow. Oh, it's so good to be back me. on the show, you guys. Putting, Thank you. I've missed putting, it. I, I loved it. I loved it. I was a fan of that one. Putting the comedian <laughs> in, writer, comedian, Todd A. Davis. Available uh, for parties, bar mitzvahs, <laughs> corporate events. I hesitated when I said classic only because your mileage may vary. And I... And I'll get into that, and I understand if your mileage does vary. Uh, I happen to like this movie, uh, as I know <laughs> DJ does, which is why we asked him on the show. DJ, you've got a don't you have a Frigga tattoo? I absolutely do. <laughs> really? Seriously? Yeah, yeah. So right oh on my god! Arm. There she is. Oh, wait, 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 wait. Hold on. I've got it in uh, speaker mode. Hold on. Oh yeah. For, oh, holy shit! Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So we. Cool. You're the only person I know with a Frigga tattoo. Or the Madeline only person tattoo. I know. <laughs> Um, so it only felt natural to bring you on the show anyway. So, but before we get into the details of this particular movie, we have to answer a question. And that is how did a country like Sweden, a country that's known for its beauty, its idyllic landscapes, it's aversion to conflict famously, uh, the overall kind of pleasantness of, of the country. It's a very pleasant country. How did they get to the point where films as despicable and whether you like thriller or not, you can't deny that it is a despicable film. Yeah, uh, yeah. How did they get to the point where movies like that were being produced regularly? This was not. This is one of many films of its kind being produced in Sweden at the time. So to answer that question, we'll need to trace the Swedish film industry all the way back to its inception. So as the film medium began gaining popularity, popularity in the early 1900s, the Swedish government, they were kind of frightened by this new emerging art form and, and they panicked. <laughs> they, they, they panicked and they created the National Board of Film Classification, which was the first state-sponsored film censorship bureau of its kind in the entire world. So, so, they, for, so they were around before the MPAA? 
MPAA didn't come around until 1967. They were around before the Hayes Code, which came around in 1934. Oh, cool. So because pre-1934, American films were not subject to censorship. So yeah, this was way, way before that, decades before. For decades, the main types of film being produced in Sweden were uh, of a genre called Pilsner Filmer which means beer films. They're beer, oh. beer movies is, is literally what that means. Uh, and love, the, I love these are that. Bills, Pilsner filmer. And I will say I, there will be several other uh, Swedish names and words that I will attempt to pronounce in this, just like I did on Lady Snowbud last week. I will <laughs> very likely fuck them up, but I will I will try. Uh, and I will try not to do it in a Swedish chef accent every time, oh, but I can't. On. I was saving I just it. once. <laughs> Just give it to us once, Justin. I'll I'll drop it completely if you do it. If you give it an honest 100%, just Uh, one. I'm going to let it, I'm going to let it work its way organically into the conversation. (laughs) Fair enough. Fair enough. But yeah, if you don't have, if you don't participate in wars, this is what life could be like. It's just you and your buddy sitting around drinking beer, talking about boobs. And yeah, but that's, this is what I was going to say. Like, what a world. That's kind of what we're doing here. (laughs) Well, these Pilsner films, they, these were what was being produced in Sweden during, you know, while the rest of the world was busy fighting World War One, World War Two, and they were making movies about fat jolly dudes singing songs about brotherhood and friendship. That's that, that's that ticks all the boxes of this show, guys. <laughs> that's why we're that's why we're in the top twenty in Sweden. <laughs> that's a good point, Todd. There we are go. very popular in Sweden. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we are. It's just because uh, we're also big jolly dudes who drink beer. <laughs> who drink beer and drink we don't beer. sing a lot of songs, but you know, essentially we're. <laughs> what separates us from every other podcast is we're all white bearded guys. <laughs> so Swedish. It's very, it's very unique in the podcast world. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Really, so very diverse. Very diverse. By the, uh, by the 1950s, Sweden had begun creating a type of film that a writer by the name of Daniel Ekeroff, who we owe a lot of this information to, by the way, calls sensations films. Films that reveled in themes of sex and violence. Uh, Ekaroff actually wrote a book called Swedish Sensations Films, which is where a lot of this information about the history of Swedish cinema comes from. It's a great book. It's, uh, it, it's, uh, if you're in, interested in explo- the history of exploitation movies, I, uh, I recommend checking that one out. And the film that kicked all of this off in Sweden was Arne Madison's film, One Summer of Happiness. So it's pretty tame by today's standards. This was, you know, 1951 or so. But the film ignited a worldwide controversy by showing something that until then had basically been forbidden in cinema. And that was a bear boob, a single bear boob. Let's be honest, fellas. That's how it always starts for all of us. <laughs> was it black See, bear, bear or grizzly? Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> so after this controversial nip slip. Swedish films started to get a reputation for being sexually liberated. There was a lot of sexual liberation going on in the country at the time, uh, and it was being reflected in their filmmaking. This was something that would continue in the 60s and 70s. But this initial film kind of like, this is the reputation that Sweden got. Like, they're the ones who are making boob movies, you know? And this was further, this, this is a fire that was further fanned by the release of Ingmar Bergman's Summer with Monica in 1953. So these were the first in a, pretty steady flow of films of this kind. And although Swedish censors initially tried to fight them, they gradually accepted the prevalence of on-screen sexuality in Swedish films. So as this movement rolled into the 1960s, Swedish films began being known internationally as essentially exploitation films. People were like in many exploitation films, they were being sold on the the sexual content of, of the film. Even 
Ingmar Bergman, who is, I guess I would say known as an art house director primarily. He even participated in this with the Virgin Spring in the, in the 60s. Uh, 1960 is when that came out. It, it's a film that is, yes, regarded as a masterpiece of foreign cinema, but also happens to be a rape revenge film, you know? Uh, and it was essentially remade. I mean, it was remade in, in all but, I think, legal rights uh, by Wes Craven in 1972 as The Last House on the Left. Uh, it, it The Virgin's Ring also is of note because it depicted the first ever on-screen vomiting. First time anyone had ever puked on screen. Really? The, yep. Wow. There you <laughs> the go. Thing, the <laughs> things you find when you start researching this stuff. Masters <laughs> of cinema, man. Yeah. <laughs> So with the international success of The Virgin Spring, which if you have not seen, I, I do recommend, especially if you're, you're familiar with Last House on the Left, go check out The Virgin Spring. It's wild to watch in retrospect. Uh, that, that movie won Best Foreign Language Film Awards at both the Oscars and the Golden Globes. So after the success, both critically and commercially, Swedish directors began leaning into what they thought sold the film and made it popular, which was the sleazier aspects of it. So probably the most famous film to be released in the wake of this new kind of Swedish film movement was Vilgot Shulmans. Am I saying that right? You might know, DJ. I don't know. I know you know this movie. It's I Am Curious Yellow from 1967. Yes, that's right. I Am Curious. Was it yellow and blue? Yeah, yeah. Yellow was first and then blue came afterwards. And its sexual content is pretty explicit, but the film stopped just short of showing actual unsimulated intercourse on screen. But within a few months, there was a movie by a director director named Stefan Jarl called They Call Us Misfits that actually went there. It was a documentary about these like hipster types and it depicted actual sex between the two subjects, between the two people. Like it basically is a documentary that had a sex scene in it. Wow. 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 Never, never heard of that one. Yeah. Good good for them. Yeah. (laughs) So try hub, whatever. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Trying to regain their dignity. The Swedish board of film classification immediately banned the film, but then the the country's minister of culture intervened and ordered the film to be released uncut. So now these filmmakers have the government wake to it. (laughs) But when this (laughs) happened, you know, the, the, the guy minister, uh, I, I don't know. I haven't seen it. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, I was just wondering. It was a different Man. time. Todd's full of zingers. These zingers have been working. Todd watched this movie like two weeks ago, so he's <laughs> uh, <laughs> so he's been working on these. Uh, but so, you know, the the minister of culture comes in and says this film must be released as it was created. So now these filmmakers have the government on their side. Basically, they feel like they are empowered to make the sleaziest movies they can think of. So later in 1968, a director named Mac Alberg released a movie called I, A Woman, Part Two, which is an all-out exploitation follow-up to his own 1965 film, I, A Woman. The first one was pretty straightforward. It was a, you know, kind of a drama. The second one, he really leaned into the exploitation aspects of it, and it wallows in sex and Nazi memorabilia and psychedelic music. Like, he was really trying to go for what he, you know, thought would make money and it was it was very successful by the way if you think mac alberg's name sounds familiar if you're a longtime listener of this show or a previous show that's because mac alberg would later move to the united states where he worked on a number of films as a cinematographer he was actually a very successful cinematographer starting out with charles band 
And he worked as the DP on several Stuart Gordon films, including Reanimator and From Beyond. You might, dude's a hell of a cinematographer. You might want to say director of photography because we're with all the sex talk, DP's just going to have different <laughs> a different connotation there, Justin. Oh, Todd, I love you, Todd. It's good so talk. good to be back on the show, guys. <laughs> uh, then the 1970s came along, and with it, the golden age of the exploitation film. I think that that's when I would consider the golden age of exploitation films. And with these films in Sweden, a new kind of starlet emerged. This is one that combined purity, youthful enthusiasm, and a lack of inhibition. And one of the most famous of these actresses was uh, an actress by the name of Christina Lindbergh. Christina Lindbergh was born in December of 1950 and began her modeling career at a young age. She got discovered on a beach, is the way the story goes. You know, she was out on the beach in a bikini and got discovered by someone and had her first photo session at the age of 16. And in Sweden at the time, they had these papers, kind of like page six, like in, uh, what is it, The Sun, UK yeah. Sun, you know, where they have like bikini girls. Like she got her start doing that when she was in uh, about 16 years old. So she was one of these girls. Of course, she got older and she became legal and she was still in high school, but eight, about 18 years old when she did her first nude photo shoot for a men's magazine called Lecter which was an incredibly popular, very, very popular publication in, in Sweden. And because that magazine was so widely circulated, fame just kind of came naturally for Lindbergh. You know, she appeared in this magazine. She appeared in another very popular one called Fib Actual, Actuelt, I think is how you pronounce it. Yeah. I don't know. That's how it looks. Yeah, it <laughs> looks like, that looks right. Uh, so, which was another very, very, these are like the two top, like men's magazines in Sweden at the time. So she, she's appeared in both of these. And soon enough, she began being contacted by film producers. You can find and a her- lot of her work right now in a publication I like to call my Google Drive. <laughs> <laughs> Lecter, barely know her. <laughs> oh, Todd, you've started something. Oh. <laughs> Floodgates are open, gentlemen. Oh, well, that, another strange turn of phrase to use right now. <laughs> oh, we'll get there. We'll get so there. Lindbergh's uh, first I got film. Notes. I got notes, guys. <laughs> Lindbergh's first film was an, actually an American production, but it was filmed entirely in Sweden and with a Swedish cast. It was called Made in Sweden, M-A-I-D, Made in Sweden, released in 1971, and then followed by a movie that the Swedish title that it was released under is called Roman Rotmanad. But it was also released as in the much better uh, English title of What Are You Doing After the Orgy? (laughs) (laughs) That one was actually released in 1970. It was released earlier, although Made in Sweden was was filmed first. Would you like to get a coffee or something? Great (laughs) title. As soon as this guy finishes behind me. He's got a leg up here. Hey, what are you doing later? (laughs) This guy behind me is going longer than expected. But afterwards, if you want to get a drink or something, I'd be into that. (laughs) So both of these films featured Lindbergh doing what she would become known for, which is being frequently nude on screen. So later in 1971. Why not? Yeah, yeah. I mean, hey, she's. She's got the um, appropriate talents, let's say. (laughs) Uh, So later in 1971, she appeared in a movie called Exposed, also released as Diary of a Rape. (laughs) And that film. That was the basis for Pixar's Inside Out, wasn't it? I I didn't see. I'm not even 100% sure I get it, but I still like that one. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, That film was actually screened at the 1971 Cannes Film Festival. 
and was immediately banned in 27 countries. <laughs> so, and that was a fact that was widely used in the film's promotional materials. First film ever banned in Sweden, I think is what they said. Oh, wow. So, and the, the hype surrounding this film, both positive and negative, because, you know, there were, they, the producers called in a lot of photographers and press when it premiered at Cannes. So there was a lot of pictures of Lindbergh. They were hitting publications all over the world. And she became an international star. She even recorded a music single during this time. A country music single. I couldn't find it. I tried to find oh, it. Oh, come I on. I it, want I to hear this so bad. <laughs> oh, man. Know what I'm doing for the rest of the day. <laughs> but she actually also began to work in Japan at this time. Became very popular there. Made several movies before returning to Sweden to star in a movie called Anita. Also released as Anita colon Swedish Nymphet, which co-starred Stellan Skarsgård, who we all know from, I mean, he's in the, he's in the Thor movies, you know, he's, yeah. he's the father of, uh, yeah, he, birthed, he birthed the scars guards. <laughs> yes. The, uh, you know, Pennywise and the, uh, the vampire guy. He's got yeah. quite the lineage. <laughs> so but he, this was an early movie of his that he does not uh, talk about very much, but he was the co-star of this movie alongside Lindbergh. But then it was in 1972 that Lindbergh began to work on the film that she is best known for, which is, of course, the movie we're talking about today, Thriller, A Cruel Picture. And Thriller, cruel it is. So cruel. <laughs> it was actually called un, un, A Grim Film, I think is what the actual Swedish title is. Thriller, A Grim Film. But A, a Cruel Picture, I don't know, it flows. Off I watched this on my birthday. It, it almost ruined it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, thriller was the second film of director Bo A. Vibinius, a man that Lindbergh calls, uh, this is a quote from her, an emotionally detached person. So Vibinius was, oddly enough, a former colleague of Ingmar Bergman. Uh, he was the second unit director on Hour of the Wolf, which is Bergman's like weird kind of werewolf movie. Uh, and he was also the assistant director on Persona, which is one of the, which is probably my favorite Bergman movie that I've seen. Uh, well, let's just say like what happened to this guy in childhood. He could have experienced <laughs> a lot of similar things to Madeline slash Frigga. I did. I did find that he was a former tank squadron leader. Yeah. So there's that part of in his the life. Swedish army. What do they yeah. do? <laughs> I don't I guess nothing. <laughs> But maybe he saw some shit. I don't know. Maybe that was part of it. Are you uh, sure it's Are you sure it's tank and not taint? <laughs> it's a tank, tank squadron. squadron. Yeah, squadron. I think that's the other title of this movie, which will play out in this movie. Squadron. Actually, it comes in handy. But he says he was captivated by film early on, and I think that he was accepted. He calls it being accepted in the Swedish film school uh, one of his greatest moments. He says he couldn't have been happier with life, which again, for him, I'm not 100% sure what that looks like. But <laughs> the main deal for Vibinius is that uh, he had that old Gary Vaynerchuk motto of hustle. That was like his his big deal. He knew immediately, like he says, when he was in that anything that happens now, it's on me. My main goals are to take literally every opportunity that's presented and network. Uh, which is what led to his work with Bergman, who seemed, I don't know, he se seemed to like him, I guess. And then he felt confident enough after those two movies to strike out on his own. Yeah, and, and, and he made his directorial debut in 1969 with a movie called How Marie Met Frederick. It's a children's film. He started, this guy started his directorial career making a children's film. And the plot, this is the plot from, from IMDb. Although, uh, if you read that Swedish Sensations films, he there is a full review of this film, in it, and it sounds bizarre. Uh, but the, the, the IMDb plot is, uh, Marie accidentally breaks a vase. Because of this, she runs away from home, 
on the run, she meets a boy named Frederick, a donkey, and a kangaroo. And fucks them all. There's also uh, a lot. Well, I don't. It's a children's film. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, actually, you the say only, that. No donkey, it, no kangaroo. No. But it's, uh, it's, it's, Be honest, it's you, called. You want to watch that. Her Marie Truffaday Frederic, or, you know, this would be a perfect Swedish self chef voice word uh, title, I think. But uh, <laughs> the only additional plot details to what Justin found there that I could find. There's a is, lot of go-karting. Yeah, is that it's children drive around in a fantasy world uh, in a speeding go-kart, chased by police, getting into gunfights that involve shooting other children's clothes off. <laughs> it's, uh, <laughs> it's very unique sounding um, um and i guess the world just wasn't ready for the artistic vision of Bo back in the 60s way ahead of his time but it was a uh financially because it was yeah. it was produced by his old production company like yeah it was a, it was a financial failure and he lost a lot of money off of it so oh. he was determined that on his next film he would make something profitable and, and so he leaned into the highly profitable world at the time of exploitation cinema. And his goal was to make what he called the most commercial film ever made. Like fucking Pixar would have picked <laughs> this one up if they'd been around. Like they would, have, they would have just been all over this. But that's legit his whole goal. He, well, he said he wanted to create his own fate, I should say, because that made me think of a wise woman once said, there's no fate but what you make. Oh yeah, she heard that from her time traveling boyfriend. I think there was yeah. another, you know, uh, there was another woman uh, who said, "Oh, oh, 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 oh." That oh that's, that's terrible. That's, that's in this movie. movie. It's in this movie. movie. That is a movie. But I, I, I would like to take this moment, if we could, to add "There's no fate but what you make" to the ever-growing list of uh, catchphrases that would be better closings to this show than "Johnny has the keys." <laughs> um, the, uh, Are we keeping a list? Is there a list? Yeah, well, not yet, but there no, might as well. Okay. Just, How about just, any movie we talk about is going to have a better catchphrase <laughs> than that? But anyway, so here we are. Just for the info, Bo is working at an advertising agency at this point. He's the head of uh, film, and he got himself a loan against him working like three months of overtime straight. He sat down, and to quote him from his own story, Thriller, A Cruel Picture, was written in three days and nights. Those were the days before computers on an old typing machine. My fingers were actually bleeding after those three days of not only mental but physical finger work. Uh, mental finger work is what I use on the ladies. I'm so glad you put that out. I was like, please, somebody put that joke. I was that knows me, not him. Yeah. Uh, so here we are anyway. The most commercial film ever made. All right. So Yeah, and so... They hire Lindbergh for it, and to prepare for the lead role, Vibinius had Lindbergh take both karate and weapons classes, much like we see her character do in the film. By, by the end of filming, Lindbergh says she looked like one big bruise. That's why you need a safe word. <laughs> <laughs> so Vibinius had her go through this training because he wanted an air of authenticity to the film, and Lindbergh agreed. In, in an interview, she said, quote, I was of the opinion that if I was supposed to be beaten, then beat me, but do it in one take. Vibinius's rough approach was probably the for the best. If you do it like that, you can tell it's for real. So she was like really getting hit. I mean, when she beats the shit out of that cop in the, or the army guy in the film, I guess she, she is like really hitting him. Uh, and despite having appeared in several films by this point in her career, Lindbergh was still a relatively inexperienced actress. Like she had not done a lot of like, let's just say she wasn't getting hired for her acting skills in, in her films before this which may have led her to the decision uh, by Vibinius to render her character completely mute in the film. 
yeah, a decision that completely mute. You hear that, Rose McGowan? Sometimes you just, <laughs> oh, just they were gonna have her. They were gonna have Ooh. her speak, and then she was gonna lose it after the first sex scene. But when the dude walked in, and it turns, she's got a very unique voice. So like when she's just like, uh, "You want to see me fuck?" <laughs> <laughs> and then the the crew was like looking around. They're like, "We're not gonna, we're not gonna move we're any not, movies that way." We're not doing that. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I actually think Lindbergh is very good in this movie. Uh, you, for someone who is not necessarily known for her her acting skills, I mean, she was appearing in essentially softcore porn before this. But I, so I'm not sure how well she would have quote unquote acted had she had line readings. But I think using her face, like in the movie, I think she's actually really good. Uh, I think dr- she's a lot of dramatic yeah, looking. Yeah, I mean, I think yeah. she does a great job with it, personally. I think she is very effective in the role. Yeah, I'm joking around, but she's literally, like, the best part of this movie. I think she saves the movie, obviously. Yes, like yes. At one point, while shooting the film, she was actually taken into custody by the police because they were shooting this movie without any real... They were doing it, like, guerrilla style. They didn't have, uh, they didn't have like, streets blocked off. They didn't have any permits. Wow. So, and, and there's a scene where she, she slams on the brake to her car. She jumps out, and she's got a gun. And she jumps out and starts shooting. There were people out on the street when they were shooting this scene. So they just see a car come to a stop. They see a woman dressed all in black with a trench coat and an eye patch holding a shotgun tumble out of the car. And they start calling the cops. And she got arrested for it. Yeah, the way she's the way, shooting at them. Yeah. And, and the way that the scene was shot the cameras were kind of low to the ground because they were trying to do this in secret, you know? Uh, so the people could not see the cameras. So they thought that there was just a crazy woman <laughs> jumping out of a car with a gun. Yeah, that tracks. But I, I, I love that they're out there doing it, man. Like they're doing all this stuff on their own. There's like an 11 person crew working on this. So I appreciate, you know, uh, I hate to say the word again, but like the hustle of it all, like they're, they're out there editing, scoring, mixing all of the stuff. Like just like, I think the same 11 people are working on everything for this movie and they had to get it down to a science because their time and their budget was super limited. So it was quick and efficient. That was like their whole goal. Bo used his military connections from the tank squadron days. He secured a bunch of the cameras for the slow motion sequences, uh, which is probably why there's so many of those. But uh, you got to get got to get use out of those cameras, <laughs> right? What was funky is that they're specialized cameras they used by the military for filming rocket launches. And so they shot at 500 frames per second instead of 24. And then when they took the film to the lab, the lab had no idea how to process them and destroyed uh, two days worth of material, like right off the bat. (laughs) This movie was going to be way longer. (laughs) No, they just, I mean, they reshot all of the stuff. They had to do like complete reshoots of like two days worth of stuff. Because they got their money back. I hope so too. So one of the biggest bits of controversy in the film involved the infamous eye gouging scene. Gary, I thought about you during this scene, buddy. Yeah. I, I know Gary does not do eye violence very well. Uh, it, so the rumor, which has never been confirmed, but is pretty pretty widely considered true, is that they use an actual corpse in this scene. And I don't honestly, looking at it, watching the scene, I don't know how else they would have done it because they did not have the money to do any sort of prosthetics that were that good. When it When it came uh, up, I thought the exact same thing. I was like, Man, that can't have been cheap to make something that looks that good. Like yeah. it just I was like, I get there at a close-up of it. Maybe it's just like one little prosthetic eye section. I was like, that's Turns pretty out, impressive. 
Turns out it's an actual dead girl. So, uh, and, and Lindbergh <laughs> says that, you know, she's in this interview I read with her, she says that only Vibinius can verify how it was done. You know, <laughs> like you, you got to ask him, but here's what I've heard. So she says that uh, she knew Vibinius knew a doctor at Karolinska University Hospital, and they had a body of a girl there that had committed suicide. So they supposedly put some makeup around the eye because they're doing a close up. They put makeup on her around the eye and then quite literally they're doing all this at the hospital they didn't like drag a body onto the, a set they took cameras to the hospital and they quite literally just poke a scalpel into a corpse's eyeball Unbelievable. <laughs> it is that is insane that is yeah. exploitation filmmaking right there like yeah. that is like anything for the shot i guess like what else are you yeah. gonna do I you know so. that's I wonder if the parents or whatever of that girl ever found that out that's crazy. Yeah. uh well again this has never been confirmed so i guess there's never been any way to prove it right uh, so another one of the strangest bits of trivia that i found for the film is that the, the film producers apparently took out a huge life insurance policy on christina Lindbergh because they were using real ammunition during the action sequences. I guess they couldn't afford blanks. So they were using actual live ammunition Jeez. during this. Uh, wow. And then they were, they also were asking um, they, when she injects like heroin into her, she's injecting saline solution into her veins. Yeah. Which doesn't seem safe. I mean, better than heroin, I guess, but yeah. Yeah. I was going to say yeah, totally safer than actual heroin. Uh, so Lindbergh, of course, is the star of the film. The only other like significant character, I guess you would say, is he's called Tony in the, uh, I think he goes by another name, Peter or Jerry or something in the original Swedish. But if, if you watch the dubbed version, which is what I watched, where Lindbergh is named Frigga, not Madeline, then uh, then you know him by the name of Tony. It's the guy who uh, who kidnaps her. So Tony was played by an actor by the name of Heinz Hopp. And Hopp had been acting in Sweden since the mid-50s. He'd been doing this for a long time, even appearing alongside Lindbergh in Exposed two years earlier. And uh, he had, you know, he he later would uh, retire from filmmaking, but he continued to make movies all the way through like the early 1990s. He was in Fanny and Alexander from Ingmar Bergman. He was also in 1972. He appeared as a, uh, he had a role as a uh, Gestapo officer in Jerry Lewis's infamous Lost film, The Day the Clown uh, Cried. Uh, no way. <laughs> oh, no way. Yes. Holy crap. <laughs> hey, just as a as a side, did you find in your research any reason for the name change, Madeline to Frigga? I don't know. Or honestly. Why, if that was like a Yeah, I never saw thing. why either. I don't I don't know, although I have to imagine, and I don't know why why they made the change at all, but I have to imagine the name Frigga has to be related to the wife of Odin. Yes. Who Odin being one eyed. Uh, I mean, that's the only thing I can think of why they chose that name specifically. Uh, I found the, it was when after they're at con, which I, I was going to bring up later, but I mean, that AIP does it is right. like makes the change, but, I but why? I don't know. Yeah. That's, okay. Yeah. I was just curious about that when you mentioned it last. Yeah. I, I have no idea. Although that's, that's the only other instance of the name Frigga that I know comes from <laughs> mythology and happens to be the wife of a one-eyed God. So mm -hmm. You and know. you're talking about Scandinavia at that point. Exactly, so. exactly. Right. So for the original release of the film, in order to cash in on the booming pornography market in Sweden and elsewhere, the filmmakers, or, or more likely the distributors, inserted shots of unsimulated hardcore sex. Uh, Lin Lindbergh was not involved in these scenes. Uh, claims to have been unaware of how they were going to be used, although there was a clause in her contract saying that sex scenes would be inserted into the film, but they're, they're shot in a way 
to where it looks like it's her uh, because it's during scenes with her, with her, uh, the Johns, but then they insert it in a way where it's heavily implied that it's her. So, but she contractually couldn't say anything about that. The, these scenes were shot separately from the rest of the production. They were actually filmed in an old sex club in Sweden where people just like had sex on stage. They just like brought the uh, the cameras into the sex club to, to film these scenes. And this is the version I watched, by the way. And it's about 20 minutes longer. I was going to say the 107 minute. Yeah, it's 107 minutes. Yep. So the original cut ran 107 minutes and and was banned pretty much everywhere, uh, including in its own home country of Sweden. So after the uh, Swedish Film Censorship Board banned it, it was cut down to 104 minutes and then to 86 minutes, but it was still remained banned. It was finally released after being cut down to about 82 minutes. Then it was also released in the United States, as they call her one eye, in that 82-minute cut. You're telling me Sweden has all of that and free health (laughs) care? He's a trooper, man. This thing, this whole movie was his whole life from, I mean. Vibinius. Uh, yeah, Vibinius. Like everything he had, he put into this movie to make something. Like he always wanted to to make movies and this was everything he, he wanted to do. And then he worked from, I think they said uh, like October to December of 1972, just like tirelessly day and night working on this film, trying to get it together, edited properly, all of that stuff. And then of course in April 90, 1973, it's just, it's banned. And so, yeah. so good job, most commercial film ever. Uh, <laughs> but he didn't stop. Like he then he he packs up everything, takes the whole crew, and they go to the Cannes Film Festival in May, and literally getting like one of the first available VCRs that they could even get their hands on, and so they could show it to anybody that'll watch the thing, uh, and taking all of the rest of his money that he had and spending it on eye patches. He bought like all these different color eye patches. Promotional eye patches? Yeah. Promotional eye patches. With stickers to like put on them to talk about, like say the movie title or whatever. I love that. What a genius. (laughs) Finally, they said it like a 7.30 a.m. showing the AIP guys showed up and they watched it and bought it immediately. But then of course edited the fuck out of it. Put it, they put it on a double bill with uh, the photographer's models first as they call her one eye and yeah. then as a, they called it hooker's revenge hooker's revenge yeah, yeah where it it called like the hooker's revenge advertisements are wild because they uh they call like Lindbergh queen of the skin flick or something like that you know <laughs> yeah. uh, they were very much and, and the picture on the hooker's revenge one is just like a close-up of her face looking kind of like over her shoulder and it's very very much they're selling this on the sexual aspect of it because she in that picture she doesn't even have her eye patch so oh, wow. yeah it's nuts because i mean i mean by this point i mean the sad part for uh for Benius is that he it's not his movie anymore basically and so he's he's just like kind of lost all control over it they like we talked about frigga is turned into madeline i don't know basically they end up editing they, they fuck it up more than totally fucked up frigga so <laughs> the, the uh that's kind of where the movie is. So he just has to accept that it's kind of out of his hands anymore. I mean, they call her one eyes a pretty rad title though. Oh yeah. yeah I mean, that's not <laughs> it really is. Uh, I mean, that's one of those great like grindhouse titles, I think. Oh yeah, totally. And so and you, can, you, as, you can actually hear like the, the movie voice guy. Oh yeah. They call her. Oh, the trailer eye. for this movie, which oh, I'm sure yeah. we already played earlier in the show. The trailer for this is classic grindhouse. It is yeah. great. It's a nice. great movie trailer. Incoming transmission. 
Hey folks, it's your old friend Mr. Todd A. Davis from the Cinema Shock Podcast here to ask, are you tired of seeing a random episode of Star Trek and thinking, hmm, I wonder where this falls into the overall prime timeline? I know I am. That's why I'm bringing you a new podcast covering the entire Star Trek franchise in chronological order. It's called Computer Resume Podcast. Each week, join me and a rotating panel of my family and friends as we boldly talk Trek like no one has before. If there's a joke to be made, we'll make it. And if there's a poignant discussion to be had, well, we'll try our best. We'll also have interviews, contests, take listener questions, and other things currently deemed classified by Section 31. Those shifty motherfuckers. So join us every week starting in January of 2021 for the Computer Resume Podcast. Free wherever you get your podcasts. And be the first to hit us up online now at Computer Resume on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Or email us directly at ComputerResumePodcast at gmail.com. The Computer Resume Podcast, part of the Slice of Fry Gold Network. Hashtag LLAP. We'll see you soon. So as far as reviews go, like most Grindhouse movies of this type, uh, reviews by traditional critics were, were not kind to the film. But I, I'm curious, Gary, as the film's become, you know, more infamous over the years, uh, what more modern day internet reviewers might have to say. About oh boy! Well, the voices that we really look for to guide us in the ways of cinema and to tell us you, you want to get on a message board or two or check out the Amazon or IMDb reviews. There's, there's no, there's, there are no better writers on film or pop culture in general out there, Gary, than YouTube commenters and IMDb posters. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, So I will say there are definitely people out there that when you read them, it sounds like somebody needs a nap. (laughs) Anyway, Gary, let's hear it. Let's hear it. It's it's fun. I am am very curious about this one. Well, I will say this. for you, you both were not here for Lady Snowblood, but one of the big problems there was there were not like any great one star reviews, although we found a couple. It just they were pretty blunt because most of them were two star reviews that were the bad reviews, but they were very smart, well thought out reviews. And uh, <laughs> there are no, I will say, there are plenty of one star reviews for this movie. None are uh, completely so, sounds like dumb people exactly, but. They are some very angry people. Ah. So, so that's uh, <laughs> that's what to expect here. Uh, this is from the Terror Angry Beyond. on the internet? You don't say. What? <laughs> this movie makes watching paint dry look like The Killer by John Woo. The action <laughs> in this movie is not only barely present, it is also shot in extreme slow motion, thus rendering the action actionless. One would do better to buy a can of some sugary beverage, open it, pour it into a glass, and sit watching it all day until it congeals into some sort of moldy mass that would be much more exciting and entertaining. On to the sex scenes. The sex scenes in two words, they suck. The music and soundtrack. The music and soundtrack consists of some idiot scraping together the money to buy an Echoplex or whatever the early 1970s Echo device was around, and then pipe almost every sound through the device in order to make the viewer want to find him and break all of his toys. I have already dedicated too much time to this stinker. Oh, wow. Uh, that is that who, who guy. Who was that? David 003475? Yeah. <laughs> that was the terror beyond. Here is, uh, uh, I don't know. I didn't say this person's name. A turtle fucked a snail and this came out. I love exploitation. 
<laughs> I love revenge movies. This this piece of shit sucked. It's not so bad. It's good. It's so slow paced. And by the end of the flick, I thought I was eighty. The movie wastes most of its time with people staring at shit. Some of the grossest sex scenes I've ever seen. I swear, the woman's booty crack I saw had hair coming out of it. Good. It's true. Bleh. It does. <laughs> <laughs> The it's slowest true. action scenes ever. It takes up to two minutes for one fucker to die. Abysmal storytelling and uninteresting characters. The only good scene was one eye driving around running random people off the road for no fucking reason. That was hilarious. <laughs> by this, but this is by far one of the worst exploitation movies I've ever seen. It is sure as shit not for its sex and violent theme. It is terrible. Period. Well, Gary, I, I um, can I contribute to, to your list? Somebody needs a nap. Would sure. you mind? Because I, I have a couple that I, that were that I found on on Letterboxd. Half star review, half star out of five. Things I have learned from Thriller: A Cruel Picture. One week of heroin use will cause fatal withdrawal symptoms. Also, there's no way of scoring smack in Stockholm, so you better just stay your kid, stay with your kidnapper, and let yourself become a sex slave. Not even the government could come up with propaganda this stupid. The only good thing I have to say about this movie is Christina Lindbergh is mute in it. That's a good thing because when she opens her mouth, she is by far the worst actress I've ever seen. And seriously, guys, she's not that hot either. This is supposed to be the flagship of Swedish exploitation. Well, here's one Swede that's not feeling it. Oof. <laughs> and one more. This one went up to a full one star. Oops, I guess I ran in the wrong porno. <laughs> full review. Uh, I will say, I have to say the... Um, the discussion about the sex scenes that are in the uncut version of this, which I watched. Did DJ, which version did you watch? I watched the uncut. Yeah. The uncut. So they are jarring. I mean, they are jarring and unnecessary. I've seen both versions of this movie, and I do think that the 82-minute version is probably better. Uh, they have no value. Yeah, they add no value. It's it's just, I mean, it's literally, you're watching the movie, and it's 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 the scenes where she's with her the Johns, you know, and you see shots of her having sex in the uncut version, but they're not explicit. And then in the 107 minute version, it straight up cuts to a full takes, taking up the full frame of just the back of a dude's ball sack and, and just penetrating her. Wow. And her buttholes on full display. Gynecological was the best description of a perfect those description. sex scenes I've ever read. It is a perfect description because that and every sex scene that is in the movie is a variation on that shot. Um, even <laughs> there's one where she's just like touching herself, but it's just a hairy That's... cooch taking up the whole screen. Like they just and then there's and there's one where the guy the pulls out. She's getting done. No, is well, it's it's because they wanted to. They wanted the people who wanted to pay for pornos to pay for a ticket to this movie. There's one scene where you see a guy pull out and just cum just drips all over the place. It's it's, it's pornography. I mean, right. plain and simple, you know. And but the thing is, I, I think it actually hurts the film because I think that the original version with that I saw, the original version that I saw, the version without those is much better because you're watching the movie and all of a sudden the entire screen is just a ball sack and, and a butthole <laughs> and. God, if I it's had a just nickel, like, <laughs> it's just every like, time. it's very shocking. <laughs> like, damn it, it's very shocking. It's very strange. It's a, but it's um, the Tyler Durden edit. <laughs> there's times we watch those movies and there's sites for it, so you don't just watch. Yeah, you're it you're ready. Film. You're prepared, <laughs> <laughs> and you have the skip forward button. <laughs> uh, oh, also, here's a, everybody's consenting. 
So. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, it depends on what what the what the uh, plot of the particular video you're watching. Oh is, yeah, I guess. true. But, yeah. Uh, so, do it, step Justin. <laughs> <laughs> but here's the thing about this movie. Whenever anyone says they don't like a movie like this, I get it. Like I really, I get it. This is not called a cruel picture without reason. Uh, the posters called it uh, the movie that has no limits of evil. As we discussed before, Tarantino called it the roughest revenge movie ever made. So I don't expect everyone to like this movie. I don't expect most people to like this movie, honestly. Um, but I love, I, I kind of love this movie <laughs> personally uh, because I love, I, I don't know, I love an exploitation movie like this that like they're just fucking going for it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like not, there are a lot of exploitation movies that are, that do not live up to their reputation like this has a reputation of the roughest revenge movie ever made. And it lives up to that reputation. Um, they don't live up to their lurid titles, their provocative poster art, but I think thriller does all of these things. Like you see the poster of this movie, you read the tagline of this movie and you know what you're getting into. And the movie delivers what it's advertising, which 99% of exploitation movies do not do. Yeah, you know, if I could be right. completely honest here and I, and I want to, the, the only thing that saved this movie for me, and I and I want to be as kind as I can because DJ has the tattoo, and so I don't I want to step around here. Uh, I want to tiptoe, but uh, I I disagree that it lives up to all of the hype. I don't I don't think that that's true. Um, I think I think that she uh, is the reason to watch the movie, and not just because she's naked. I'm not being like that about it, but Lindbergh is the only thing that kept me interested. I think that she is her facials, like her, her acting for being an inexperienced actor. I can't speak for, you know, if she could deliver lines or not, but something about her came through on screen. Like she, she has, has a, a captivating, she has a captivating it. look. Yeah. yeah she does. She's got a lot her. of uh, screen presence. Mm. Otherwise uh, I, think, I thought I the think... movie was kind of boring. Like these other people, like I yeah, thought I mean... the movie is, is not, I mean, and there's not like, it doesn't, yeah, I know you say going for it and I get it. And I mean, like I talked about all the, the shit he went through to make the movie. Like he wants to make a movie and I, and I, I'm, you know, I appreciate that aspect of it, but I just feel like if you come into this movie and you're expecting like exploitation in the way that a lot of people are going to be expecting exploitation, um, th there's not anything super enthralling here. It's just her, on screen that that is the only thing but she's on she's in almost every scene of the film like, i'm just saying it's just her it's like not the movie itself it's like the movie itself is whatever it's like it's it just kind of step by step into this and, and there's it's dark i mean i'll give it that it's 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 a dark scenario the whole thing but it's just kind of it's my least favorite of the ones we've watched so far for this series well i mean that's I mean, I would say the same thing, but, but I, I still like this movie. But again, I totally get why people don't. And I honestly did not come into this episode expecting you or Todd to enjoy this movie. <laughs> honestly, uh, I would have been shocked if you had. Uh, but I, I mean, and maybe it's because I've seen this movie before and I saw it right after Kill Bill came out. So it was like one of the first that Kill Bill was sort of the entryway into a lot of these exploitation movies for me. Uh, so this was kind of one of the first ones I ever saw as a result, yep. you know, and maybe that's my bias talking when I say I like this movie. And, and I get a lot of these reviews talk about how talk about it being boring or slow. They 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 like to joke on the 
uh, all the slow mo use and stuff in it. But I was going to yeah. bring that up. It, it's like this come this came out a couple years after um, uh, the Wild Bunch and then Straw yeah. Dogs. Yeah, which you know Peckinpah is is um, glorified yeah. for his slow motion violence. Yeah, exactly. and, and, I, and I have to believe that that influenced this film. Yeah, but the reason that he's doing that is because he wants you to feel every moment of violence. Right. Somebody gets it's shot and it's to not, see that it's not it's not instant. pretty. It's not instant. Yeah, when somebody not, gets shot, like it means something. Right. So the yes, best I, one for her, for me, is probably the first guy she kills. Like the guy where it's slow mo, she's shooting him even when he's on the ground. The uh, you know the John that came John, in and like yeah Hulkamania underwear yeah got on top of her I don't know <laughs> yeah like that that was the best one I mean the horse thing is cool but it's uh, I wish you'd seen his head pop off or but yeah you know it's not like you see anything <laughs> they so didn't I have see a budget lot of people for that, that are looking yeah. for yeah I see people like looking for like let's get crazy let's see some fucked up shit and yeah. it, you don't like that much except the idea of it is fucked yeah, up yeah. the idea yeah. is very fucked up I mean it's a movie that shows you just how sleazy it's going to be. From the first scene, I mean, it's this movie is this is a movie that begins with a child being raped. That it's opening yeah. scene is yeah. so disturbing, yeah. and, the, and the what well, the, the shit. I was about mouth. to say that the only thing coming out of his mouth, like I was like, hell. that was the only thing with this one. Is I was like, what the fuck's even happening here? And then yeah. later, the <laughs> beginning, he raped her. I was like, wait, so was he like raping her prior to this? And they're just buddying it up in the park, or oh, or maybe you don't see him in your version oh you no see, in, in this version it's just a little girl picks something runs up to him and he picks her up and it's just like he's twirling with her and okay. then he starts spitting up blue gook well and then the cops the, come in the uncut version you see a shot that is from her point of view of him on top of her like um, you don't you don't see anything you, it's just a close-up of like his face but you can tell what he's doing but it's a it's a it's shot from her point of view so gotcha. maybe that's that's probably a, a wow. victim of the that's of the heavy. of the cut yeah yeah, yeah so it's it's it's, it's in the 107 minute version it's very clear what's happening um, uh but but you know and it's fucked up and it's disgusting but it is a it is the movie telling you that you what kind of ride you're you're in for? Like nothing is off limits. In this I, th- I think probably just the blue black goo that's coming out of his mouth. I have no it's idea just, what the just, fuck that is. It, yeah, <laughs> still, I, no clue. It, it's not just a kind clue. Of, wait, what? <laughs> I have all no right, idea. All right. Could not tell you what that is. Yeah. yeah it's Did like, he have it, a Tide Pod? Was that? <laughs> with, he swallows the Tide monster? Pod. He starts barfing up gook. He's got like the ooze from Ghostbusters two coming out of his mouth, and then he just like, and then she runs away, and then the cops are there, and he tries to hand her a flower or something, and the lady smacked my her. mom. Yeah, yeah. that's like, oh. makes me think of uh, Frankenstein. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, yeah. Except he's a little less sympathetic. Except Frankenstein yeah, he's, didn't he's, fuck he's, the he's little girl the before guy. he threw her in the lake. <laughs> it's just... Oh man, so to be honest, heard. I want to see that version of Frankenstein. I don't. I don't. <laughs> What's wrong with you? let's be honest i don't want to see that version i like frankenstein's story like the whole thing yeah i don't think uh, we need to change anything about i don't need any child molestation in it to like spice it up it's It's the the swedish cut it's the nothing no there's not a single movie out there that needs more child rape (laughs) none come on now just one I can't think of a single one that would be, would be improved by the addition of a child getting fucked. Episode one, Phantom Menace. <laughs> oh my god! There are a lot of people that stormed the Capitol that might like, disagree. I, I will say this for it. I will say this for it that uh, that 
the one thing that uh what's his face uh Vibidius does have going for him is that he does some great job and i don't know if this is his uh cinematographer uh good more call. so than him but the shots with the old man where he's like spinning around or even when she's walking with her father i assume it's her father like later on the farm and just every scene involving a dude they do a great job of these like pov shots like close-ups of a dude's face and they look like the scuzziest like fuckheads in the world yeah, every yeah. single Super time sinister, yeah and so yeah. they do a great job of just making all those men seem just the worst yeah and, and so props to them for that i just I, I guess i was more disappointed by it it built itself up as like the roughest revenge movie ever made yeah i mean i guess like there's for the time for the time yeah, his his historically yeah yeah maybe. yeah yeah I'm like oh, man, there is so much you have more than on your grave coming out a couple years later. Like, yeah, I was about to say, you, I mean, you've seen, you know, if you obviously there are much more fucked up movies out there now. I mean, you've got movies like a Serbian film, you know, we shit were, like that. Right. We were literally yeah. just talking about a Serbian <laughs> film coming out of when we took a, a potty break. Uh, DJ and I were talking about it coming out on Blu-ray and just how fucked up that movie's supposed yeah. to be. Well, oh, he's wow. seen it. I haven't. But well, so but I, I get why people don't like this i get why gary doesn't like it i get why i am assuming todd doesn't like it uh but it's not a pleasant experience it is it, so one of the articles that i came across when i was kind of looking into stuff on this movie was on the av club and the title of the article was didn't like it would still recommend it so in this article which i think that title alone tells you like if you're a, i mean it if you're a fan of these types of movies this is one that should be on the list so one of the writers discussed this film in that article alongside another rape revenge classic, one that I think DJ just name dropped called I Spit on Your Grave. And that's a movie that Roger Ebert famously, and he hated it and, and was very vocal. And it was a well-publicized battle between Roger Ebert and this film. And to be uh, fair, that movie I also dislike, but I appreciate that it's a decently made exploitation movie. Yeah. So here, here's a quote from that article. The writer's name is Kenny Herzog. He says, if, if Tarantino and if Eber and Tarantino have either endorsed or condemned a movie, film geeks will seek it out in that aspect. Both I spit on your grave and thriller reside in some twisted must see Canon alongside faces of death, Hannibal cannibal Holocaust et al. And so, and I think he's right. I think for people who are into fringe cinema, Thriller is a movie that you have to experience at least once. You know, yeah. I I feel the same way about Cannibal. I, I hate Cannibal Holocaust. We've discussed this. Yeah. I think it's yeah. boring as shit. Uh, but I think that if you're a fan of like exploitation movies and fringe movies, like that is part of the canon of must see exploitation movies. Back when we were doing the Psychotronic uh, Hall of Fame, you know, where we yeah. were doing these movies that we considered the must see like cult movies whether you like thriller or not like it's a must-see cult movie for its place in history as i yeah, sit here I, and I think can, about I can it get behind that statement yeah i mean I it's here i think part of the and i don't know that i ever actually um said why i'm not a super big fan of this movie um there seems to be a lot of plot holes am i am i am i off base there of just mm-hmm. like like what well like i mean the plot's pretty straightforward so she I just mean, there's a lot of, of like you have to assume this is just the most ignorant chick in the world, but I, yeah, I think it makes yeah, like her just kind of 
bebopping around town and then just going this back. Is, this like is Sweden. This is well, the home of yeah. Stockholm syndrome. <laughs> uh, okay all right you, you know what that just yeah that i yeah. mean I'll, I'll give you like it's weird that she just like hops in the car with this dude i mean but this is also a time not ours where you don't you don't do that but right next uh they're going out to dinner and i'm like the reason you took the ride into town is because you missed the bus and you've got a doctor's appointment. yeah you got a doctor's appointment where now you're out to dinner <laughs> she's been like, wined and dined by tony stark get, yeah. and it's hard to <laughs> turn him down and he literally had wine in a basket yeah wine in a basket i've never seen that before so maybe you fancier guys uh maybe you fancier guys to know more about that but i had never seen a little wine it's a very european 70s thing um and his entire house is clearly decorated by the earliest incarnation of ikea (laughs) (laughs) and a lot of the revenge stuff like just comes off comical like her, you, the, so? you know, yeah, like a car gets run off the road and just explodes. explodes. <laughs> that like, is kind of funny. Yeah. What? <laughs> I, I, I will also say they have very trader look like the biggest dork. You had the money to get trained in martial arts and driving and you expect and that the, guy to come marksmanship. in why not just pay all those guys to just go kill all the people that's true that's a good point um you know he's he's like sitting there most of the time she's like i just need to know how to like fucking flip people and he's just like i flipped like six people one time at the mall when they were messing with my lady (laughs) my lady uh but the thing i mean paying someone you don't she doesn't get the satisfaction of fair enough taking these guys out themselves now i would say the biggest plot hole if is that there are actually other... answered it a lot with Stockholm syndrome. So yeah, I'm... yeah. But okay, well, that actually I mean, does well, take and, care and of a lot of it. Also, the the well, the movie, the movie's explanation for it is she's returning to get her her smack. Yeah, right. Although right. I would say the if there is a big plot hole in the movie, it's that there are other places to buy heroin. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, not your your uh, old Tony doesn't have the like the, he doesn't own the market on yeah, heroin and and Sweden. Not, not with that apartment. Hey, that apartment's pretty sweet. (laughs) (laughs) You know what I think a lot of it is for me too, is that like, if you take a movie, say I spit on your grave, I don't know if it's this way for everybody, but for me, uh, one of the biggest things in the world on a screen you could do that will make me turn away the quickest. And uh, Justin, you and I actually, I remember we went and saw like the Hills have eyes that remake that happened. And there's a scene where there's like a, a rape scene and they've got a gun to a baby's head. That seems it's rough. Yeah, and it's <laughs> super rough. And like it's, I still remember that scene. It is probably not nearly as bad as I built it in my brain. This has been a while, but uh, I still remember that scene as being one of the first times in a theater. I've been like, man, I gotta get out of here. Like this is too much. Like I hate rape scenes in film like that rob zombie director's cut of halloween yeah like where they trade michael escaping from the shackles to like two inmates are raping a patient or something like that in the background and i'm like i fucking hate it like i mean i get that but in the case of like the rob zombie one it's completely unnecessary and pointless to the plot yeah yeah Uh, it is but in this it's literally part of the plot yeah uh, well where where i'm getting to this is is that so Rape is a serious offense. Like it is a destructive, awful thing. It's like one of the 
I, I hate to say it, but like even with like murder, sometimes slashers can be fun, you know. But it's like rape is just like never fun on screen right. at all. It's just yeah, awful yeah. every single time. And so the catharsis that you get from a movie that features this, so like a revenge flick, is that you get to live out the vengeance that the person uh applies to these people that that have wronged her in this way and i feel like that happens like it i spit on your grave there is a detailed death for every single person that she cuts the dude's balls off yeah <laughs> it's like fucking Spoiler, but... <laughs> one like and just it, it just it's it's it, it's impressive like how how violent she gets with these people and i feel like in this movie and this is a little earlier on i guess so you know maybe they just hadn't built to it it just didn't feel as i don't well, know yeah, it's, it's not a, as it's, much of a punch to like her getting her revenge well and in every um i mean she's shooting a guy with a shotgun pretty much every time yeah. uh, with the exception of the last guy with where who she kills with the horse with the biggest horse I've ever seen, by the way. That thing is enormous. That yeah. horse is a monster. But yeah, she just basically shoots everyone else with a shotgun. She only uses really her karate skills on the cops who are trying to stop her, which right. shows just how determined she is to to do to exact her revenge. But I do think though, and this goes back to kind of that that quote from the A V club where they they name dropped Cannibal Holocaust and Faces of Death. I think this is a better made movie than those. I think that Vibinius is definitely hindered by his uh, very, clearly very low budget, but he definitely has some skills. I mean, this is a guy, after all, who was the assistant director to one of the greatest live directors to ever live. You know, this guy has some skills. And yes, there there are, the movie never shies away from the exploitation aspect of it. There are, after all, hardcore pornography inserts in the movie but there's some real skill on display from Vibinius. like you've got the scene where there, there one scene that really stood out to me is where the camera's like mounted on top of the cop car and you've got the sirens on either side of the camera um and it's a great shot it's a really good shot and it's not the kind of shot that you would normally expect in like a cheap exploitation movie i feel like if Vibinius had had continued his career then he and started making like quote-unquote legit movies that he could have that, that skill could have really shown through. Uh, I think another note uh, that, that should be discussed or at least mentioned is the score by Ralph Lunston. Uh, Lunston was a pioneer in the world of electronic music. Uh, he was actually one of the first people to build his own electronic music instruments back in the 1950s. And by the time Thr Thriller re was released, he had about nine albums under his belt already. Oh, wow. um, and he didn't do a ton of film work. Like this was one This was one of a few movies he did. He actually had done Exposed, uh, the Lindbergh movie a year before this. But I think that's a, I think that's another thing that like, it's a, a good original score like that even if it's a cheap electronic score, because it's much cheaper to do something like that. That's why so many horror movies in the 80s use synthesizers. It's just, it feels like it's a little bit better than a lot of exploitation movies in that regard. I, I would definitely say he has skills. I can I can see that for sure. And like I said, I mean, he does a great job of making all the uh, Johns and every dude she interacts with just seem skeezy and weird and just it makes you uncomfortable i think I, I go back to like initially like you you mentioned i forget who you said uh it came from but referring to him as a um emotionally detached person yeah it was Lindbergh. 
Yeah, <laughs> Lindbergh. So I wonder if that doesn't have some aspect in the, or like some some part of that is not what I'm thinking of when I'm talking about like the revenge aspect of it that maybe he doesn't get quite the the punch that it needs on the comeback. He gets like, well, the mechanics of revenge, but not the uh, the greater spectrum of well, the I, catharsis. I think, yeah, right. I think yeah. part of I think part of that thinking is the fact that this movie was released almost 50 years ago. It was released almost 50, almost half a century ago, and this is a very early entry in the revenge genre, subgenre. So, at least, especially as far as what was available to American audiences, obviously. Lady Snowblood was released actually the same year. Uh, actually, I think technically later in the year, but the same year. But that was not widely available. Like this, but movie also can go down to by the way, very emotional and like just insanely. You felt in Lady Snowblood. I'm that- not going to pretend like Vibenius is nearly the director that Fujita was. Uh, that, that is uh, that is not what I'm saying at all. But what I am saying is that this was. You've got 50 years of movies that you've seen. Uh, and obviously they're not all revenge movies, but you've seen, you know, your your fair share of revenge movies that have been released within that time, where now you've seen something like Kill Bill, let's say, where it is, the deaths are very satisfying. Uh, you see people with their heads lobbed off, blood going everywhere, like in Lady Snowblood. And, you know, you've come to expect that out of a revenge movie. So you're expecting that out of this revenge movie, even though that precedent had not yet been set at the time that this movie was made. Yeah, right. Maybe that's true. You know? right. So after Thriller... I just want to see the guy's head come off. I did really want to see <laughs> yeah. the guy's head just <laughs> yeah. pop off. Just <laughs> like a little grape. Just pop us, off. You showed us so much else. Oh, including much. butt crack hair. And ball sacks. And what? ball sacks. Can you come? show us the head actual, getting popped off? Actual cum. You showed me actual cum, and you won't show me this guy getting his head popped off. You saw somebody's, you know, potential great grandchildren <laughs> on yeah. screen, living and dying right in front of you on screen. Actual baby shower. <laughs> oh, that's that's the tweet. Oh my god. Oh, that's the tweet, guys. So after Thriller. Lindbergh continued her acting career, although the roles got smaller and more spread out. Uh, and in the mid-70s, she ended up going to journalism school and began writing for several magazines, including Fib Actualette, the, the men's magazine she had posed for a few years earlier. So uh, this movie didn't really like, even though it was made her internationally infamous, it didn't necessarily help her career because the movie was seen as... I mean, it was, it's very lowbrow, very exploitation, very trashy, mm. uh, for lack of a better term. But as she got older, she kind of withdrew some act from acting. She still appears in things every now and then, but she's actually dedicated her life more to doing like environmental work, a lot of work with animals and the environment. Uh, she's also gotten really into mushroom foraging. Uh, so she's really into mushroom foraging, which uh, she actually went so far as to produce a short film with her husband in the nineties called Christina's mushroom school, where she, that's like a the movie we should have watched. <laughs> I, I actually just we went have on a mushroom reviewed. foraging class. Yeah. So I, need, I need to see this. Check out Christina's <laughs> mushroom school. <laughs> so as for Bo, a Vibinius, his follow-up to thriller was a movie that, the author I mentioned before, Daniel Eckeroth, calls the definitive Swedish sensations film. It's a movie from 1975 called Breaking Point. Uh, music was again by Ralph Lundstrand. Uh, the movie sounds absolutely insane. 
Uh, it is not available. I can't find it anywhere, um, but it's not available to stream or anything like that or on DVD that I can find. But it is. It's, it sounds like a bizarre kind of surreal action film uh, that happens to also be a full-on porno. <laughs> so here's, here's what uh, how Eckroth uh, describes it. Quote, this is the quote from that book. Uh, Breaking Point is without a doubt one of the oddest and most fascinating Swedish movies ever. Judged by the perverse level of strangeness, no other movie even comes close to Bo A. Vibinius's curious opus. Breaking Point lacks action sequences and an understandable plot, but compensates handsomely with an array of unsettling hardcore pornography. He I goes think, on. I think, I think there's supposed to be quotes around comes close, right? Uh, <laughs> so he, that, sounds, I swear he, to God, it he, sounds like he really knows how to shoot porn and can't do the follow-up, like the the other side of that emotion, like yeah. the, the well, fighting and violence. It's kind yeah, of, it's he, a, he kind of, it basically, yeah, he shoots porn, but it's like he's thinking about Thanksgiving with his in-laws. Love just like, uh, well, no, I'm working on a movie. It's uh, it's way- not a porn. It's uh, lots of action, revenge, uh, very um, very thought provoking. Yeah, definitely yes. not a porn. There's stuffing. The something. way this yeah. guy is, <laughs> the, the way the movie is described, it's it's like this is too weird. Like the the, the non porn stuff is too weird and bizarre and surreal and incomprehensible to appeal to the people who want to see a porn. And the porn stuff is so blatant to where it's not going to appeal to anyone else. <laughs> so it doesn't appeal to anyone. Uh, in, that, in that same book, in that same review, Eckeroth describes scenes where the film's main character spikes a woman's coffee with his own semen and a dream sequence where he shoots Wait, rubber bands. Bill Cosby? <laughs> well, he'd, he'd, he'd put a semen directly in the coffee. Oh, okay. okay. Sorry. <laughs> and then put it uh, right in the pudding. and he describes a dream sequence where the main character shoots rubber bands at his own quote very erect penis listen when you're bored on a friday night sometimes you get an idea you have a man who has and you think you know what i could get it in the trash can from here so you just uh, or, you, or you're talking about using your penis as the yeah. Well, instrument yeah. he says flicking. he shoots rubber bands at his, at penis. his penis, not with, oh, not with. I was confused at. about that. Okay, no. he likes right. the feeling, the sting. Oh, what you're talking oh. about is totally normal. Oh, okay, all right, right, right. I was just wondering. It's so, like launching a peanut. Uh, <laughs> there you go. There you go. So, Thriller uh, or Breaking Point, much like Thriller, was um, unsurprisingly also banned in Sweden, oh, <laughs> and and um. At, for unknown reasons that I could find, at least after Breaking Point, Vibinius doesn't have a single directing credit. He's kind of faded from history. I don't imagine know what, by this point he's like, I don't get. Uh, I guess I, guess I just, don't understand what the public wants. I'm never going to work for <laughs> Pixar. It's, it's, it's uh, little did he know, Inside him, Out, he's like, oh damn it! <laughs> but of I course, saw he I became mean, like his, a. Well, I was just going to say, I saw he became a production manager, and he worked on like. Uh, uh, Bo Wiederberg's film Man on the Roof uh, and then the last thing I saw was uh, he produces commercials for Channel One in Switzerland or something like that so huh. you know well, he's still out right. there still out there he's in his 70s he's now paying those bills but yeah. I mean his legacy still lives on and in a large part thanks to Quentin Tarantino honestly yeah. because we're still talking about Thriller now almost 50 years later talk about you know in the last couple episodes we've we've leaned pretty heavily on the influence that the movies have had on kill bill 
uh, because they're very, very obvious in Death Rides a Horse and especially in Lady Snowblood. And this one, it's a little more like, oh, yeah, it's a revenge movie. And obviously the L driver character is oh, yeah. modeled after, after yeah. her, but that's about it. I mean, honestly, but this is the type of revenge movie that is like part of the film history that informed Kill Bill. I mean, Tarantino's it seems like, a fan. It of seems like the inspiration he got from this was more aesthetic. Yes, you know, I would, that, I would, and I would that like, hell, it seems like he could have gotten as much in from, uh, inspiration from the poster as he did from the movie. Right, yeah, but he does enjoy this movie. He calls, yeah. um, he, he says uh, Christina Lindbergh is like, I think he calls her the coolest actress in Sweden. And they actually got to meet a few years ago um, when he was in doing a tour in uh in europe i think i want to say it was for inglorious bastards so he was doing like it a, was yeah yeah he was he yeah. was premiering and he specifically asked you know when they were premiering in sweden he specifically asked the producers to like i want to meet christina Lindbergh. you know i want to meet her and they met wow. and and yeah. she says that he was really cool and like he they got each other's autographs you know it's like very <laughs> kind of sweet i don't know <laughs> actually that's kind of nice <laughs> So yeah, anyway, I, mean, I, I I saw like I mean even he recommended Daryl Hannah watch this movie or something as part of like the prep for the role and that yeah. sort of thing. You have to wonder <laughs> if his like character bible for L Driver had some sort of backstory that was similar to Frigga's in this. Movie. Yeah, I was, yeah, and thinking about that, it was just kind of like, hey, this is your character's backstory. Just yeah, and then after after this movie wraps, you got involved with Bill, and here we are. Yeah. So I do want to uh, mention a, uh, or we introduced a new segment last week that I would like to continue going forward called Further Viewing. Further Viewing. Where if you enjoyed this movie, or if you didn't enjoy it, but you just want to watch similar movies that I think would pair well with this one. Uh, yes. For this week, we've Kill already Bill. mentioned Kill Bill. Yes, is a good one. <laughs> <laughs> so we've already mentioned one of the films several times, which is 1978's I Spit on Your Grave, directed by Mears Archie. Uh, if you have not seen it, it's another one of those, you got to see it at least once. I'm sure we'll talk about it on this show at some point in the future. It's not planned right now, but it's one of those movies that like, you got to see it at some point. Is it streaming uh, anywhere? I don't know. Don't watch the, if you search for it, don't There's a 2010 watch, version. Don't watch the remake. <laughs> don't do that. Oh, okay. uh, but have the you seen the one, remake? I've never seen it. I just curious. I don't think I've seen it. It's unnecessary. I don't. I don't need a remake of of a movie like I Spit on Your Grave. But it stars the granddaughter of Buster Keaton. So that's really kind of fun. Wow. yeah yeah wow um, yeah. yeah it's pretty wild. But yeah, I don't I don't know if it's streaming. I'm look. I'm doing. Yeah, I'm looking yeah. too, and it just keeps wanting nope, to give me. It the, is. Yeah, it is. It's on uh, as of right now. It's on you at least on YouTube and Google Play to rent and and yeah. buy. So nice. it, it looks like it's under the other title, Day of the Woman, that it was released under. Oh, but okay. uh, so another one I would recommend if you're in the mood for a, a pretty what I would consider a pretty badass revenge movie, 1981, uh, Abel Ferrara's Miss Forty Five. Yes. That movie. Yes, that movie fucking slaps. Such an ass kicker, right <laughs> she, there. She dresses up as a nun, and it's another. It's a rape revenge movie. Uh, it's another movie uh, with a, a badass female protagonist, and she walks around dressed as a nun and just decimates dudes. It's great. Oh wow! Uh, and and it's set in 1981 in like Abel Ferreira's New York, which is the sleaziest version the of Grinchy New York, New York yeah. that has ever existed. Uh, but I would highly, highly recommend Miss 45. That's streaming everywhere. Yeah, Miss 45 is pretty easy to find. It was released by arrow i think uh a couple years ago 
Uh, and then more recently, uh, from 2017, one that I think I really liked is Corley Farjat's Revenge. Uh, I think Revenge is really oh, yeah. cool. It's on. It's a Shutter original, so it's easy to find. It is a revenge movie sh- that is told. It's a story told by a woman. It's it's a it's one of the few of these like rape revenge movies that's actually directed by a woman, and it is. It's got some you know bizarre plotting, I would say, but it's very satisfying to watch her. Uh, on her it own is. roaring rampage of revenge. Yeah, it's a, a lot one. of fun. And if it's I can throw one in too, uh, yeah. by the time this airs, uh, you'll be able to find it on streaming. I mean, it's coming out like widely this this month is uh, Promising Young Woman. Yes. And uh, mm. that movie is a blast. It I've is. seen the previews for that. It looks pretty awesome. Yeah, I'm excited Carrie to Mulligan check it out. It comes out tomorrow, actually, I think, yeah. as, of, as of our recording. So this episode will be definitely out by the time you listen to this it'll be out but okay let me but let me put forward the movie to avoid okay some of you guys uh i think at least gary and justin dj i don't think you were there for this but we watched a movie at uh my apartment years ago called black sisters revenge yeah i vaguely remember super boring it's <laughs> a, it's 90 minutes of build up to him to her kicking him in the balls and that's and that's the end yeah <laughs> and so <laughs> If you're in for revenge movies, you don't watch go that ahead, one. Go ahead and pass on that one. So. I mean, I, and I would say sympathy for Lady Vengeance. I, I actually considered mentioning that one, but I think yeah. sympathy for Lady Vengeance would be another great one. That is a, uh, I mean, it's honestly, it's a the third part of a revenge trilogy. Yes. Uh, yes. I mean, they're they're only connected by, of course, the the, uh, theme. the theme, which is Mister Vengeance or sympathy for Mister Vengeance. Uh, I would old, like to say that for boy. those who, yeah, old boy, uh, I, I would like to say uh, that I'm aware that Promising Young Woman, if somebody watches it based strictly off this recommendation, you probably won't. But if you did, uh, it is not as dark as the. I mean, it's similar subject matter and it is dark, but it's also like mostly cast besides like Carrie Mulligan by a lot of comedians. And so it's very odd how it plays yeah. out and it's very <laughs> twisty and uh comedians are pretty damaged people so i imagine this oh is yeah i'm sure awesome. that's why they're in this movie <laughs> yes but they're, they're all compensating for something oh for, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. absolutely it's a very good movie though and, and a very much a revenge movie yeah so next week on the podcast we're continuing this series we're halfway through now this is three of six that we're going to talk about next week we're going to talk about one that is probably a little bit more well-known, I would say, the world around, and, and another one that you will very clearly see the influence in Kill Bill, and that is from 1978, starring Bruce Lee, his final film, I believe, if I remember correctly, which is Game of Death. Uh, his I'm final excited. film awesome. that he didn't even get to He film. didn't actually get to finish, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> which we'll talk about that next week, uh, but you'll, you'll clearly see the, uh, the influence in that. Uh, that'll be a fun one to talk about, because that's a very uh, interesting story. Uh, it's it's another one that's pretty easy to find streaming in a few places. Hit up cinemashock.net to find out where we'll have a link there where you can find out where you can stream it uh, or get that new Criterion box set. I got it for Christmas and it is pretty badass. Nice. Uh, the the It's called Bruce Lee's Greatest Hits. It's got five or six Bruce Lee movies in it, all in uh, like 2K or 4K restorations on Blu-ray. It's pretty awesome. Nice. So. Yeah, so we're watching Game of Death next week. We're uh, of course there were going to be more kung fu movies in this. That's not even the last one. 
there's going to be more kung fu movies. There's got to be more kung fu movies. This is yeah. oh, Kill Bill we're talking about. Right. Uh, so, uh, so yeah, so watch Game of Death and join us next week. DJ, thank you for coming on the show, bud. Yeah, thanks, guys. Yeah, thanks for coming, DJ. I, I haven't watched this since uh, since probably that Sinet's DVD came out. So yeah, it's been a while. Uh, so yeah, you're welcome anytime. Anytime you want to that we're doing a movie you want to talk about, you are for the listeners. I definitely did wink every time I said thanks for coming. <laughs> uh, and Todd, thank you for joining us again. I'm glad you're feeling better, bud. Thanks for having me, guys. It's great to be back. Uh, DJ, where can you be found on the internet? Anywhere? Anywhere for people? Uh, probably uh, Letterboxd. Twitter and Letterboxd. Uh, right knuckled. With a W. Right. Yeah. yeah spell that out for me. R I T E. Knuckled. Right knuckled. And how about you, Todd? At Mr. Todd A. Davis on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Letterboxd, and D&D Beyond. Do you legitimately, do you check D&D like Beyond every D &D day? Well, not every day. Do you have the app? Uh, app? I don't have the app just because I, I like it better. Todd, than be honest. Do you, are you fucking using D&D Beyond? Yeah. <laughs> do you have to roll a certain... It's all, it's all, it's all, post? it's all digital. So it's, you know, it takes all of the fun out of it, but you know, it's a community. It's nice. Community of fucking nerds. Uh, Gary, <laughs> where can you be found on the internet? <laughs> I am at, this is Gary Horn on everything. Parlor, Snapchat. Uh, <laughs> so Parlor's gone, my dude. Shut them down. <laughs> this parlor gone now. Yeah. Parlor's gone, my dude. At least as of this recording, it supposedly disappeared. So, <laughs> and, I am at Justin underscore Bishop. Find the show at cinema underscore shock on Twitter, Instagram, and you can find us on Facebook or at cinemashock.net. Once again, where you can find all of our episodes and links to buy all of our merch. Uh, the merch looks really good. We all got some this week or last week. I'm wearing my cinema shock t-shirt right now. Listeners can't see that, but it's there. It's there. It's really nice quality coming from our friends at Threadless There's stickers. There's stickers, there's mugs, there's face masks. Uh, I got a hoodie. Those the face hoodie masks is, are awesome. I actually got a couple. The hoodie, the French terry, I think is what it's called. Or it's like a fleece kind of material on the inside. Mm -hmm. It's the warmest, softest nice. hoodie I own. It's amazing. Nice. Uh, so I'm, I'm very, very happy with how those You know out. you like our Scully logo. The Scully yeah. logo is great. Uh, we've, got, we've got them with the Scully logo with the name of the podcast or... Uh, we've got each of our catchphrases on shirts. If you want to buy a Johnny Vice, Johnny has the keys t-shirt by God. It's out there. There's at least <laughs> one sold. <laughs> there is. My wife bought one. So at least one person. My wife <laughs> bought one too. That's All right, there's two, two, there's two. <laughs> Which probably the highest selling shirt we have. <laughs> it, probably, it probably is right now. So it's, uh, it's out there. And Threadless does sales all the time too, which is super cool, which means that those sales, you know, get translated to our store as well. So we will try to promote those as they happen too. So, uh, nice. yeah. And, and we're not doing this to make money because we don't make hardly anything off these shirts. <laughs> we just think it's cool that you guys can get a shirt with our logo on it. Yeah. You know, we just, we want them out there. We want you to tag us in pictures of them. We'll repost you on Instagram and Twitter and stuff. Uh, we just want, we just want people to be stoked about supporting the show, which is super fun. Uh, speaking of supporting the show, share the show with your friends. As we always say, Gary always talks about how important that is. You think it's not a big deal, but it's like, it helps a lot. Uh, word of mouth is the only way that the show even exists because we don't have money to advertise or anything, you know? So we, uh, we just want you to tell your friends about it. If your friends are into kill bill, if your friends are into 
you know, exploitation movies like we're talking about right now, or if your friends are into fucking, you movie know, history. Chris, Christopher like Nolan learning. movies or yeah, learning about deep diving into movie history or Star uh, Trek. Or, well, that's coming soon. So that's uh, that's uh, well. There was an ad earlier in the show. That's for it, true. Yeah, they'll, they'll they'll people heard it. They'll Don't worry. It. Once it launches, we will make sure people know about it. So, uh, but yeah, you can follow uh, Computer Resume on uh, at least on Instagram right now, right? At Computer Resume on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. No, oh, you're everywhere now. All right. So yeah, yep. go follow go follow that as well. I guess that's it, guys. Until next week. May the wings of liberty. Never lose a feather. Be excellent to each other. Johnny has the keys, and I have COVID. <laughs> no, you don't anymore. You're better now, right? Oh, I still, I, I still mean, technically you... have it. You know, no, the, the cool part is you don't have to worry about the vaccine for a while. <laughs> That's true. At least ninety days. Yeah. There you go. There, there you go. go. All right. Bye, everybody. Bye, you guys. Bye. Bye.